and I teach people how to be speakers. And sometimes they're going to deliver some pretty dry cracker information. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that and get people to swallow? And the answer is always the same. Number one, what is the emotional content? Because information is not remembered without emotion. So if I ask you right now, as you're listening to this, I want you to think about the subject you like most in school that you used to hate. And the difference was the teacher. That's mm -hmm. what the difference was. Always. It was it suddenly was. a teacher. And why? Because the, the teacher emotionally engaged you. So what's the emotional content? That's number one. Welcome to the David Paul Show, hosted by David Paul, founder of Dial Smith and Lillian Labs, and the creator of Behavioral Storytelling. If you're looking for compelling conversations with some curious characters, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. In this special two-part episode, I'm talking with Dove Barron. Dedicating his career to storytelling and leadership, Dove is the best-selling author of several books, has a top-ranked podcast, and is a sought-after speaker and consultant. In part one of this podcast, Dove and I discuss his incredibly colorful background, crafting presentations into narratives, telling stories with data, and figuring out your personality archetype. Dove, thanks so much for joining us today. My absolute pleasure, David. I'm actually very excited to be here. Love talking about story. I, I, our previous conversation I enjoyed very much when you were on my podcast, so this is an honor. Thank you. I'm looking forward to serving. It's wonderful to have you. I've been looking forward to this one because whether you know it about yourself or not, you are a very interesting character. And I think your story will be really fascinating to a lot of people. So interesting you're a character that makes people go, hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go either it, it, in a curious way. Some people have rather mundane stories. And I think even the little bit that I know about you tells me that there's some really interesting stories under the surface that have gotten you to where you are today. So thrilled mm -hmm. to get to explore those even a little bit. So you're a top rated world renowned speaker, author, podcaster, consultant. That's a major accomplishment for anyone to get to in their career, mm -hmm. but no one ever takes a straight line to get to where they are, especially to achieve those levels of success. So can we start off by you giving us a little bit of your origin story? How did you get to where you are today? And what are some things along the way that you really credit with setting you up for where you are today? Well, as you were saying, you and I were talking about before we started, it's a long and winding road. And the, the from point A to point B is never a straight line. So I'm going to give you the the Reader's Digest version, and then we can dive back into any part that you want. I was born in the UK in abject poverty in what would be considered a ghetto, a financial economic ghetto. Was a weird kid. My mom was thought I was possessed because I talked about things that existed beyond the veil, and I drew things that were not part of this world. I was an artist. Mm. Uh, my art was in galleries by the time I was 10 and my mom was shipping me off to the rabbis to work out what was going on with this weird kid. Mm. So I started studying religious philosophy. I started studying Kabbalah as a little boy. By the time I was 11, I taught myself prana yoga and was deeply interested in metaphysical studies. And at 21, left the UK to travel the world and start studying with different spiritual masters. I studied mm. Vedanta, which is Hindu philosophy, Buddhism, the Tao, Gnostic and Coptic. Uh, Christianity, and as well as the Vedas, which is Hindu philosophy. 
fascinated by all that, loved it, soaked it all in. While I was doing all that, you should know that I was running businesses parallel. So I was studying all this, but also running businesses. Was fascinated by all that, but got really tired of all these spiritual people, my judgment, totally my judgment, spiritual dinglings who couldn't get their shit together, couldn't hold down a job, I couldn't hold down a relationship, but they could tell me which way my shark was spinning. And although they were lovely, I was like, oh, that's what's missing. So I started studying psychology. I started studying Jungian psychology, particularly, and what is now called attachment theory, how we attach and why we attach. I became a Jungian therapist. And during that time, got really sick of people moaning and complaining and not doing anything about it. So this is not working. So I went, okay, who's doing really well? And I started studying what was then was called the psychology of excellence. Psychology of excellence means that today is what's called leadership. So I started meeting these people and studying with them and realizing a lot of them seemed to be kind of soulless. They, they were having all kinds of great achievements, which I respected, but they were kind of empty emotionally. That led me into, in 83, studying nutraceuticals and, and neurochemical, neurochemically, and what was neuroscience and, and actually neuroquantum physics. That was 83. And then I got, into, I got asked to come and speak for a friend of mine. He said, come and speak to my managers. I'm like, about what? <laughs> and he goes, it doesn't matter. And I went, what do you mean it doesn't matter? And that was the beginning of my speaking career where I started to put all these pieces together into something which I call quantum metapsychology and wrote a thesis on that. So it, that's where all, that's the, the broad overview. Since then I've been speaking all over the world and doing all kinds of weird and wacky things. Yeah. Well, so that friend who asked you to speak to the management group and, and said it didn't matter that, makes me curious with all of your experience of speaking to an audience, how much of the success of a talk or a presentation is the presenter versus how much of it is actually the content that's being delivered? As far as can a charismatic, strong presenter get away with uh, a lackluster presentation or can they really not cover that up? And in our field of research, my field of research and delivering results and insights, there's always that challenge between the content that's being delivered and the method by which it's it's being delivered. So that's yeah. the context in which I'm asking. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. There is the message and the messenger. Mm -hmm. And I think you can have a spectacular message, but if you have a terrible messenger, it's just never going to land. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also have a great methodology. You, you could have a great person who's got tons of charisma, but has no substance. Uh, and people see through that. And I think that in my experience of all these years of doing this, that people's bullshit meters have gotten bigger and bigger. And they can, mm -hmm. they can sense that pretty quick, certainly more sophisticated audiences. So I, th I do think it is a balance of both. If I was to go with one over the other, I think that probably 15 years ago, I would have said it's the speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, now I would say it's 60, 40, the content, mm -hmm. but you got to have that 40, which is how do you present what shows up? how do you know how to engage that audience if you're delivering phenomenal material but you can't engage the audience with who you are they're going to be pulled away 
Yeah, so let's pull at that thread a little bit mm -hmm. more, uh, especially in our field of research. We're often dealing with mountains of data that have to be turned into insights and then have to be communicated in a way that's usable. Mm -hmm. And it keeps people interested. I have a good friend in the industry who once talked about a presentation that she got up to give and a CEO of an organization closed his eyes and said, wake me up when the data's over. And he just checked out completely. Yeah. So what can you share with us about what you think are some of the most effective ways to capture an audience right out of the gate? but to also hold their attention and take them through a journey when often what has to be delivered isn't the most sexy or spectacular, but yet it's incredibly important. It's a great question and, and a really important question. So as you may know, I also have the Authentic Speaker Academy for Leadership and I teach people how to be speakers. And sometimes they got to deliver some pretty dry cracker information. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that and get people to swallow? And the answer is always the same. Number one, what is the emotional content? Because information is not remembered without emotion. So if I ask you right now, as you're listening to this, I want you to think about the subject you like most in school that you used to hate. And the difference was the teacher. That's what the difference was. Always, it was, was suddenly a teacher. And why? Because the, the teacher emotionally engaged you. So what's the emotional content? That's number one. Mm. Number two is whenever anything is dry or complex, the simplest way to deliver it is metaphorically. You have to find a metaphor for anything. So when I do my speaker program, I will say, okay, I'm going to part away through the training. And I'll say, so here's why I want you to understand the value of this metaphorical understanding. And they go, I want you to, I say, I want you to imagine that you're putting on an event for a subject that I probably know nothing about. And you would think would never match me as a speaker, right? And just call it out. And then they call it out. And then I'll use that metaphor. So for instance, one of the trainings, somebody said, Okay, it's a crocheting conference. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, thank you. Okay, very much. yeah, that's great. Or it's a plumbing conference. I've had all these different yeah. things. Yeah. And I say, now here's the thing you've got to have in your toolbox your general major story and maybe some sub stories, but you've got to have some. So if I'm talking about crocheting, I'm talking about creating something by pulling mm -hmm. threads together. There's my metaphor, pulling threads together. I've got to use that metaphor in what I'm speaking about. If I'm talking about plumbing, and I have uh, at plumbing conferences, I'm talking about how things intersect with each other that you don't expect. And if you don't know where those places are, it's not going to work. So you have to deliver information metaphorically because people will make pictures out of metaphors. And our job as speakers is to understand this. When you're speaking... You have to put the person in a movie, but you have to think about it this. It's a cineplex. So you're getting them to watch your movie. If you don't evoke emotion, if you don't have the right cadence in your voice and change your voice, if you don't use emotional language that creates visual responses, it's not going to work. Now you've delivered the story. What you've got to do is you've got to deliver the story with enough emotional content that they suddenly open a parallel cinema where they're seeing their story 
aligned with yours. Mm. So they go, oh, that's like me. And then they start flashing into their old story. Mm. Then there's the rapport that says, ah, we meet. And often that bridge between those two stories is the metaphor. What is the metaphor? Yeah. That's, that's how people can connect to dry information in a way that's extremely powerful. That's well, that's excellent and pointed advice. I appreciate the the pointed advice. It's always great when someone can invest some of their time to listen to people like us and walk away with real tangible uh, actionable things that they can do. I appreciate that you put the energy into making sure that you deliver that. I can tell it's deliberate. Thank you. It is because people listen to podcasts all the time. And I always say the problem with podcasts is the background noise. Yeah. And so you've got to have something like, okay, so if you finish listening to this and you go, okay, what are my metaphors? What are my, what is my primary story? What are my two backup stories that are secondary, but still very powerful and how can I, and then test yourself by mm -hmm. throwing subjects at yourself that are not in your field and then go, okay, how right. can I tie this to that? Yeah, it's that's interesting. Powerful. Yeah, you have to, you really do have to practice. Yeah. You can't just wing it. You really do have to practice, don't you? Well, it's, it's interesting because you have to practice winging it. So, so yeah. what I Be mean by that is, yeah. right? So I've got to know my story so well, and I've got to know mm -hmm. what the emotional high points are. But I've got to know two other things. I've got to know, A, what's the new audience and what's relevant to them. So if I'm talking to the audience and they're all accountants, maybe my material is not relevant to them. So I've got to use my story to make it relevant. Mm -hmm. What is the metaphor mm -hmm. to make it relevant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me, shifting gears a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, what is a dragonist? <laughs> so you know, that's the title that I go by. And the reason for it is because, as I said, I had a background in Jungian psychology. Mm -hmm. And in Jungian psychology, there's all the archetypes. And one of those archetypes is a dragon. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what a dragon is, we've got this massive creature that breathes fire. But if you look at the mythology around, dragons always sit on top of that which is precious. So if you think about some of the, the, the movies that you might have seen, there's a dragon sitting on top of gold. That's a mm -hmm. metaphor for sitting on top of what is precious, protecting what is precious. Dragons are very powerful. They breathe fire, so don't mess with them. Mm -hmm. But the front scale on a dragon, if you do the research on them, the very front scale right here at the front is over their heart and it is translucent. Mm -hmm. So they always lead with their heart mm -hmm. and with fire. Yeah. So I want to lead with my heart and my fire. I want to find the fire within you and bring that forward. And it's hidden right now because you're protecting something valuable, but you haven't realized how to grow and bring that to the world. That's mm -hmm. what a dragoness does. Yeah. Well, so clearly you put in the work to figure out what your archetype is and how to make it work for you. I suspect that is something that the vast majority of people have never even considered doing, let alone attempted. Mm -hmm. But in some of my work, I, I understand the benefits of it, though I haven't done nearly enough work on myself in that regard either. What's some advice that you would have for people who wanted to start going down that road to understand themselves better in that regard and maybe figure out what is that archetype that would that can really take root for them and how they can put it into practice 
That's a great question. And I would say that first and foremost, don't be limited by what you think are traditional archetypes. So there's an archetype for you and I don't know what it is. So in our work, the private work that I do with my clients, my one-on-one clients is I will, I'm going to again, give this very pointed and I hope that people will pay attention to this and take some notes. But here's, I want to give you some really powerful questions that are going to pull you to, to the root of this, get you right in the center of it, to, the, to sitting in the heat of that fire. And the first question is this, what is it that you needed when you were a child that you couldn't get or couldn't get enough of? What did you need that you couldn't get or couldn't get enough of? And it wasn't a bike. So, yeah. so what was it you needed? So when you write that down and you're probably going to write 10 or 20 things and then you just look back at it and you go, okay, what did I really need? So very often, so I'll give you an example. I was working with a surgeon and he said, oh, well, I I think what I really needed was a bond with my dad. I was like, okay. And then he went, no, I had that. And I said, oh, did you? And he goes, yeah, my dad took me fishing. And I said, oh, that was great. How often did that happen? And he goes, three times. I said, remember, I said, what did you need or uh, that you didn't get or didn't get enough of? It was still the same answer, the right answer. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to dismiss it because that's too, it feels too close to the bone. But that's mm-hmm. actually where it, you need to go. Mm-hmm. So what is that? So what he wanted was that connection with his dad. Then we deepen that and go, okay, so what was it in that? What is about, what is that? And then, so we went deeper and then you go, okay. So the flip around, obviously this is the 10,000 foot view of this. Mm-hmm. But the flip around is how can I deliver the very thing I needed to the world? People say, I say to people, what is your purpose? I want to help people. Could you be more vague? Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody wants to help. If you're a decent human being, you want to help people. But when you look at what did I need and how can I deliver that to the world, not to children, although that might be of it, but how can I deliver it to the world? So there's a gentleman that we both know and he was, I was interviewing him and he was struggling with this. And I said, you always have to look to the pain. This is in my interview on curiosity bites. Mm, And he goes, I I don't like that. He goes, I back away from that. And I go, okay, Mm. but let me just ask you, could you mm-hmm. tell me about your childhood again? So he tells me about his childhood. And I said, what was the dominant feeling? And he goes, I just felt invisible. And I said, what do you do for a living? And he's telling me, and I go, what's the main focus of that? And he goes, well, to make sure that people are seen in this very noisy world where nobody's seen. I go, mm-hmm. oh. Interesting. Right? Went, okay, okay. It's that, see, so, so it's not that yeah. being a little boy being seen, but helping people to be seen. That was part of what was missing for him. What he needed more than anything was to Mm -hmm. be seen. So that's what's driving all of us. When we tap into that, there is no limit on the power you have. There is no limit on the energy you have. You don't sleep enough. It doesn't matter. You get up in the morning, you're energized because there's a bigger power, a greater need to serve in the world. That's what drives us. Hmm. Yeah, that's an important lesson. It It doesn't sound like easy work to do necessarily on yourself. It's not easy work, but let me ask you a question. Is anything of value easy? Right. No, but we're this, and it's a very important question, David, because mm-hmm. we cling to comfort, mm-hmm. but we die in comfort. Yeah. We don't grow in comfort. There is no growth in comfort. 
Yeah. You want to know how the, the year people grew the most? 2008. You want to know the next time they grew the most? 2020. Hmm. As we look back in time, people will go, oh my God, I grew so much in that time. It was painful. It was miserable, but I had to be resourceful. I had to have agility. I had to find a way. Yes, that's when we grow. You want to cling to your comfort. You can do that. But what will your gravestone say? He died comfortably in his bed. (laughs) Or do you want it to say he died at a screeching halt after making a massive difference? Or she died at a screeching halt having made a massive difference? What is the power inside of you that you've got to deliver that if you don't deliver it, you'll live your life in regret. That's not motivation. That's truth. Yeah. So for those whose curiosity you've now peaked with this, where would you suggest most people go next? Is there a book or a series that you recommend them reading or others like yourselves, or maybe some of your content that you think Mm -hmm. would be valuable for people to digest just to start to, process it more and start to do the work on themselves. Well, certainly this, uh, I've got over 700 videos on YouTube. You can certainly find lots of stuff in there. But mm-hmm. one of my books is called Don't Read This. Your Ego Won't Like It. Mm. And that is a great book for you to begin that process of understanding that. And also a book called One Red Thread. Those two books will take you to that place and give you a way to understand it and tap, to begin to tap into that. Both of those books you can find on Amazon. Okay, very good. I'll make sure to link to those. And I haven't read them, but I will now read them. And I'll also share (laughs) thoughts on them after I I read them. I think it's super interesting. That wraps up part one. In part two of this podcast, Dove and I discussed the 200-foot fall that changed his life, a leadership principle Dove calls actualized leadership, and authenticity through transparency and courage. Check out the show notes for a link to part two, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified about upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching The David Paul Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.